just close this time of uh, worship with me by praying the Lord's Prayer together. If you don't know that prayer, uh, if you're at home, you can follow along with the, the scripture on the screen. But let's just go to him and pray the, the way Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You can add a forever and ever and ever if you want to. It's not really the Bible, but it's in our hearts so we can say that. Thank you so much. Oh, it's so good to be with you guys uh, today. My name is Carl Gully, and if I've not had the chance to meet you, maybe because I've been on an extended sabbatical and just gotten back this summer, it's been such a great reunion to, to be with all of you and uh, to get to connect with all of you and to get to share this morning. When you walked in the door of our services, you should have been given a little communion packet that we're going to be using at the end of our time. So if you're at home following along, love for you to get some of those elements ready, juice, crackers, whatever you use, so that you can participate in that. Uh, time with us towards the end of our message. But if you were with us back in July when I shared, I, I commented that there's a, a series of questions that really made me think and even rethink over my sabbatical. The, one I, the question I asked you before was, if you could describe Jesus in one word, what would it be? And I thought a lot about that, and I shared that with y'all, and I heard that your life groups and families had a lot of good conversations around that, and that was really encouraging. So I thought I'd give you another question that I was asked over uh, this break that I had as well. Pretty simple question. I'm sitting with a whole group of uh, leaders and pastors, and someone turns to the, you know, Apostle John, he makes this comment. He says, this is the message we heard from Jesus. Now, if you were talking to someone who had walked with Jesus very closely for three years, he's like, I need you to know this message. You would lean in, like, what is that message? And our leader just paused and said, so what do you think it was? What was the key message? Boil everything down. Jesus was trying to say, what was that key message? So how would you answer that question? Think about it for a minute. I mean, especially if you are a follower of Jesus, we probably ought to know that. So just think for a second. The Jeopardy song's playing and you're just thinking. What would you say? Get it in your guts, okay? You're gonna need this a little later. Now remember, I'm sitting in a room of pastors and missionaries, okay? We're paid to know the answer to this question. We're supposed to have this on lock, okay? And so... I feel even a little bit more of an onus on this one. I've been, I preached my first sermon when I was 12 years old, okay? I am 47, so do the math, 35 years of preaching. So I feel like I should have this one down and I should get it, I should get it down. And here's the deal, I, 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 here's the deal. If you've preached any amount of time, anybody out there preached a message before? Anybody at all? Yeah, if you preach, you have some home runs and you have some disasters, okay? And whenever I train up-and-coming communicators, they never want to hear about my home runs. They want to know about my disasters. And one of my disasters came when I was trying to communicate a key message of Jesus. I was a college pastor at the time. We were on a mission trip we call Awaken. It's the last day, and I am firing up our students, and I'm saying, listen, when we go back, 
I want you to invite everybody you know on Wednesday night to come together for our service. Bring your friends, bring your family, people in your dorm, your fraternities. Like, I want you to have them there. And here's the deal. I promise I will preach the gospel clearly, and I will call people to surrender to Jesus clearly. So your job is to get them there. My job is to get, my job is to get the message on point. Everybody in? One, two, three. Let's do it. So we come Wednesday night, and I walked in the room. It is jam-packed, and there is so much expectation. Worship was so powerful, and the sermon was almost powerful. As I, and I get up there, and I am preaching about stories that happened on our mission trip, kind of like what Sean Dunn just did. I'm intertwining them with the gospels, the, the stories of Jesus, and it is going oh so good. I come to the end, and as you're hearing now, I get kind of ramped up when I preach typically, and I am building up, and I'm even tearing up as I'm sharing the gospel story, and I'm saying, this God who loves you, he watches you as you destroy your life with sin and death, so he sends his son Jesus to die on a cross that you might be brought to him. Now, pause for a minute. You need to know that when we do our preparation for our services, the way we do it is we show up early today and we go to the back, to our friends in the back. There's a whole team that are hidden in a room back there. Aaron Peach, Tim Sapp, all these guys, they are amazing. You never see them, but they are working their tails off so that you can see words, okay? And Jimmy and I or whoever we're preaching, we show up at 745, we go through everything with them. Like today, it wasn't easy. We took a long time, but we got there, okay? We never did that in the early days. We would scribble down references, give it to some college guy in the back, and just kind of hope for the best. And I had just scribbled down references. Now, imagine if I'm building this crescendo, and then I turn to what I think is 1 Timothy 2.5. When I turn to the corner, and I, we, also I didn't have my Bible references with me, I would usually point to a screen like this, and I would say, he loves you, he loves you, he wants a relationship with you, he died on a cross. Like 1 Timothy 2.5 says is what I think it says. And it says, for there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. That's what I'm thinking is about to happen. But unknowingly, I had given the guy 1 Timothy 2.15. There's no way any of you had this verse memorized. I guarantee you. Because I don't have it memorized. I'm building it. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. And the main message he wants you to know is verse chapter 2, verse 15. And it says, this message that women will be saved through childbearing. I, I said it. And I froze. And I just did a slow turn and women are like really angry, smoke's coming out of the ears and guys are looking at me like, so we've got no shot at heaven, we're, we're out? I am not kidding. I forgot everything at that moment. And I just look back at the back, the guy in the back's kind of going, you did it. And I just start cracking up. I'm laughing uncontrollably. So then the people start laughing all, and I, I go get my Bible and I'm like, what was I trying to say? Like, I'm looking and I'm looking and I finally find it and I read it. And then I'm like, okay, let's all stand. And we all just stood. <laughs> to my knowledge, nobody got saved. Nobody got added to the church. Uh, people went home and studied why they needed to have kids to go to heaven, but people still make fun of me to this day for that, for that message, okay? Now, thankfully, I've done a little better job over the years of getting this message a little bit more clearly. Again, as a pastor, it's pretty important. I would say as a Christian, it's pretty important that we get this message right. So what is this message? What would you say, again, is the, if you boil it all down, is the key message Jesus was trying uh, to get 
through to us. And we're going to take a look at that, um, that truth today. We're going to explore that question. And here's the reason we're doing this. I really believe that if you get the key central message Jesus was trying to give us, it will turn your Christianity on its head. Like right now, if you're, if you're feeling like you're just kind of stuck in your Christianity, this message turns it upside down. If you're feeling bored with Christianity and you're like, oh, I kind of forgot to read the Bible today, you're just kind of in one of those modes we all get in, this, the answer to this question could really turn everything upside down for you. So I'd like to begin this by going to the book of Matthew, where Matthew quotes Jesus, and Jesus is talking about there's two camps of people. There's people who know God, and they believe in God, and there's those who don't, and those who, they all have different priorities based on who they are. So let's go to verse 31 of chapter 6 and read this, this passage. It says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who seek all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I can hear some of you saying it with me. We know this verse. I don't know about you. I tend to even kind of gloss over verse 32 when it says, you know, don't be like the Gentiles. Your version might say, don't be like the pagans. And that's just like, well, that's not me. I'm not one of those people. I love that the message version, Eugene Peterson says, people who don't know God and the way he works will live this way. And I thought, now that could be me at times. I can forget who God is and how he works and kind of go a different direction. And so Jesus is calling us together. If you want to know what really matters to me, seek first my kingdom. Seek first my kingdom. So what does that mean? I think we have to kind of pause sometimes and answer this question because we don't use kingdom language very much. We don't live in the kingdom of America. That's not normal language. If you're a stellar Texan, you believe that we are in the kingdom of Texas and everybody's welcome to be here and be blessed and love it. But it's not, it's really, you know, the Republic of Texas or whatever. We don't really use kingdom language. And so it, it can seem to be misunderstood, but I would argue that Kingdom ideas are more your MO than you even realize. You operated in a kingdom this morning. You have no idea. You're operating in a kingdom right now. You have no idea. Let me explain why this is. Because a kingdom is where you, it's the range of your effective will. Basically, it's that little sphere where whatever you want to happen happens. And whatever you say goes. It's your little kingdom. That's why some of you made sure there were big spaces between you and the next person. You're like, you stay over there. I don't want to be in the middle road, middle seat of the airplane. I want over here. I want a little, at least a little area where what I say goes. You know where you got this? Birth. Anybody here got a one or a two-year-old? First word they learn? No. Second word is a four-letter, a four-letter word. What is it? Mine. And they'll walk right up to you and take your wallet and be like, mine. They have no problem. They're learning from an early age that they are kingdom people. Anybody here got a teenager? Teenagers just learned to expand that kingdom. I mean, you know, my daughter just graduated from Baylor. When she lived in our home, she had her room. She went to Baylor. My next daughter claimed her room. So she just graduated, she comes home. This is my room. No, this is not my room. This is not your room. This is my room. Because their kingdoms have expanded. And so this is why it's important for a teenager a lot of times to have a lock on a door. This is my room. Or they go to the car, right? And they're like, why are you sitting in my seat? This is my seat. Can we put this music on? This is my music. No, this is my music. Don't touch my phone. This is my phone. And eventually dad says, you know what I'd like to remind everybody? Is that you are in my kingdom. 
and do not make me go back there. Every dad has a good right arm. We've all done this right here. To remind, and they all kind of scurry to the corner. Why? Because we're reminding them, you are living in my kingdom. Welcome. Welcome to my kingdom, right? We've all, we've all been there. We all have a kingdom. It's the range of our effective will where what we say goes. And it's a kingdom thing that God gave into all of us. We don't always do the right thing. We'll say mine like the best of the two-year-olds. But actually, as an image bearer of God, we were made to be able to take part of this kingdom. And God has a kingdom. It's the range of his effective will. It's where what he wants to happen happens, and it is the delight of his heart. So you just read it. Seek first the kingdom of God, or seek first the kingdom of heaven. All right? And what this kingdom of heaven is the place where his will is being done. And here's what you need to know. A lot of time we see this word and the first thing we think of is this far off place. This is not far off. This is like right here, right next to you. It's right where God is, here. In fact, in scripture, typically we see it this way. More times than not, it's in the plural. And you'll, you read David in the Psalms, he'll talk about looking to the heavens or I'm crying out to the heavens. Why do they use the heavens so much? Because to the Jewish people, the heavens, there were actually three levels of the heavens. There was a place you would go one day when you die, you'd be with God. And then there was that place up the sky, the stars, the moon, the planets, all that stuff you look up and you see up there. And then there was what you see all around you, what you see, feel, and touch. The third realm of the heavens was actually where we are right now. So how beautiful is it when you think about it in that regard that when Jesus was baptized, it says the heavens were torn open and the heavenly father roars out his affirmation of his son of how much he loves him and go and do the digging. You will not find a place where it says that the heavens closed afterwards. So it means they're still open to us. The kingdom of the heavens is still open and available to us. So it's true, Ephesians chapter one says, we get to live in the heavenly realms having access to every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is really good news, which is why Jesus referred to this over and over, over a hundred times, more than anything else that Jesus talked about. He talked about this kingdom of God, his kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens. But even though people in his day would have understand understood kingdom a little bit more than us, he still made it his mission to depict through beautiful language what the kingdom of heaven was like. And so he would say, all right, everybody gather in. The kingdom of heaven, it's, it's like a feast. And the coordinator of the event was told, go get everybody. Everybody's welcome to come to this feast. But when the, the owner of the, of, the, of the house came, there was so many open seats, he said, Go get everybody. So the coordinator went to every nook and cranny of the city saying, you all get to go to this house and be a part of this feast. Because in the kingdom of heaven, there's no loneliness. And I hope I spell all these words right. In the kingdom of heaven, there's no rejection. In the kingdom of heaven, everybody gets to play. Everybody gets invited. He would turn it a different way and he would say, the kingdom of heaven it, it, and the, while he's trying to figure it out, the disciples are like, hey, why you figure that out? Okay, I think I have more influence than you. I don't know. I've got more influence than you. He's like, guys, wait, time, time out. Those who don't know me have to have this conversation right here because it actually will fuel their sense of significance if they are able to measure their influence in the world. 
They have a caste system. They've got to climb that ladder. In my kingdom, humility wins. In my kingdom, the least becomes the greatest. And so Jesus would just beautifully depict the kingdom of heaven, this place where there's no evil, where there's no perversion of his creation, a place where there's no big shots calling all the shots, but there's a place of servant-heartedness, a place where there's peace, a place where you know that there is a king over this kingdom and he reigns in endless love. And he just would paint this picture everywhere he went over and over again. Now, the kingdom language, though, it didn't start with Jesus. He didn't come in and say, okay, we've got to write the New Testament now because this is a brand new idea. Actually, the first page of your Bible introduces us to kingdom language. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, you've, you've heard this verse quite often. It says that God created humans in his image. Just let that one wash over you today. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have what? Dominion. Dominion's a kingdom word, isn't it? Actually, dominion might be a better language than, than kingdom language because at least in our world, when we think of kingdom, we think of a place. The kingdom of Saudi Arabia, it's over there. But when you think about a word like dominion, it speaks more to reign or a realm and you see this all throughout scripture. Just go to the next book in Exodus. They cross over the Red Sea. Moses and Miriam sing a new song that ends with, and our Lord reigns. And then Isaiah is painting a prophetic picture of what's to come. And there's these, those with beautiful feet who will bring good news. And they all proclaim, our God reigns. All the way to the end of the book in Revelation, where we're, gathered, we're all going to be gathered back in a garden if this garden has become a city inhabited by people who are surrounding this king who is filled with endless love for all of us and we will say, you reign and you are worthy. It's the story of scripture all the way through. That's what God was trying to say. I want you to see this day. And he says, I want you to imagine what would it be like back in Genesis 1 if you would take that image I put on you and just multiply it all across the earth. What if this was just multiplied? Every nook and cranny of the world. Image bear, the image bearers bearing his image, multiplying his image wherever he goes. The problem is, I think you all know what it is. There's another kingdom. The kingdom of earth. Quick question. How's that going these days? I mean... If you're on your news app right now, you could tell us how it's all going right now, right? It's just not what it was intended. Again, God created this with the intention of this being a good thing. And we have to just turn to the next chapter in Genesis before we watch marital strife and ego. What Jimmy just talked about, shame. This multiplies and multiplies till a man named Moses, till a man named Noah comes along. Can you imagine the emotions of God when the most loving, compassionate thing he can do for the world is destroy the world that he created and said it's good? And so he takes Noah and his family and these animals, they put them on an ark, calls a global reset, launches a radiant rainbow to say, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And then the next chapter, we're drunk, 
We're proud. We've got division. We haven't made it out of the first few chapters of the Bible. And this multiplies and multiplies. And I think just every time you open up the, the news, another shooting, another death, another country, like Ukraine or something like that, that is experiencing such volatility, so much pain, so much fear and anxiety, as we talked about last week, that a lot of us have had to battle through even more these last few years. This has become our normal. We're just used to it. We scroll like this because it's just so normal. It's, like, it's almost like it's like down into our, our psyche and into, into who we, we are, whether we want to or not, just become who we are. And here's the deal. You live here long enough, there's a prayer that will start to develop inside of your heart. It's this. Oh, God, get me out of here. Anybody prayed that prayer? Be honest. If you prayed it in the last two years, raise your hand. Prayed it in the last two days, raise your hand. I have prayed something along these lines. God, I love you. You did a really good job with me. I've enjoyed my time here. I'm ready to go. At any point that you want us to go, we can go. I'm ready to get out of here. Now, that's the prayer that starts to erupt out of, out of my heart. If I'm just being really honest, that's the way it's been at times. But I think that it's really important to notice how Jesus taught his disciples to pray at a pivotal moment when they are living in an oppressive regime, under oppressive regime and an oppressive uh, religious system. Things are just cracking down on them. And he begins to teach them to pray. This is key that you get this. Because a lot of people are like, oh, I'm good at prayer, I'm bad at prayer. Regardless of where you feel on this, prayer is your invitation to have constant union with this king. And I hope you'll join us every week this, this upcoming fall because Jimmy's gonna do a series on prayer and I believe it's going to hopefully reorient our hearts back to this kingdom. It's not about if you feel good about it or bad at it. It's like that moment you just, all the day get to pause and say, I love you, Jesus. I want you to do that right now. Probably more powerful than the sermon, just you, you having union with Jesus. Just, I love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. But the disciples do want to know how to pray. So they say, teach us how to pray. And he goes, okay, start with our Father. He must have blown their mind. Like, he's that intimate with me? And then say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not get me out. Pray, God, that the range of your effective will would invade every nook and cranny of down here, God. That my union with you as Father would begin to explode all throughout my life and then throughout all of our society in this dark, dark world. When someone sees that and they catch it, it is always a beautiful thing. Can I pause here and say, this is why I love teachers and educators and professors because you are daily, daily uh, reminders of people who walk into classrooms filled with wild chaos and say, well, you're gonna learn science or you're gonna learn English, but really the reason I'm here is to get this here. One of, one of my friends is a teacher in Waco ISD, and it's just been so common the last couple of years to get texts, please pray for my students, pray for this student, pray for this, pray that I can love on this family or that I can share Jesus with this family. And she always wants to be very careful about how she does this with her administration, but there's been some pushback, so she's careful. And she texted us this year, I got a brand new principal, 
And this principle is open to all kinds of things. And they were brainstorming about how they could get our STARS ministry that does mentoring in schools. The principal was brainstorming with this teacher about this. And they mentioned the Mentoring Alliance, another amazing organization that wants to go into schools and mentor fatherless kids. And they started talking about this and they're, they're still trying to figure it all out. But through the openness, the principal came to the teacher and said, have you ever heard of a prayer walk? The teacher was like, as a matter of fact, I have. Has no idea this teacher's been praying around the school on a regular basis. Would you organize it? And they call it a pastor. They all come together and they invited any teacher. It was volunteer basis. Teachers brought their kids and they were gathered around the school praying, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done at our school as it is in heaven. Isn't this beautiful? <clears throat> so actually, if you are a teacher or a professor, an administrator in a school of any way, why don't you stand to your feet right now? We want to see who you are. If you're a teacher, educator, you're in a seminary. Look at all these people. Wow. Come on, we can do better than that. That's amazing. <laughs> stay on your feet. I'm so, stay on your feet. I'm surprised y'all are able to be here and aren't thinking about how to you know, fix your classrooms and do last minute things. But we want to pray over you because we believe in you. We believe in the mission of your heart. And we know that there, you're having to say, God, make me wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove, but make me, fill me with love. And do what only you can do. If you're near one of these people and you know them, would you just maybe grab their arm or pray, put, you know, stand next to them, put your arm on them? We just want to hand on them. We want to pray for them to really experience Jesus this year. Holy Spirit, we are so grateful for the women and the men who are standing to their feet right now to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And they are probably at various levels of feeling ready for what's to come. Some are stepping in for the first time, stepping into a new classroom, a new grade. They have parents to communicate with, so many details going on. And just as Jesus grew in stature and in favor and wisdom and favor with God and man, may they do the same this year. May they grow with favor with God and with man on their campuses. And we're asking that you would give them the desires of their heart. I'm sure a lot of these teachers have said, man, I didn't sign up for this world that we're living in. And yet they're still signing up again. And as they do, we ask, would you fill them with the Holy Spirit? Fill them with the Holy Spirit, God. May they feel your joy as they step into this week and the weeks to come in Jesus' name. And everybody said, oh man, so beautiful. Y'all can take a seat now. Starting to see how big and beautiful this kingdom is. Again, I think this is so necessary because a, a lot of people will, will tend to think that the whole re reason Jesus came was that he wanted to give us a message. And the message was, here's the right things to know and the right things to believe so that one day when you die, you can get up to this place. And that's definitely included in his plan. And I hope you know that plan or you're hearing it today for the first time and jumping onto that plan. That was never intended by Jesus to be the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal was not to pray a prayer so that one day when you die, you'll go to heaven. The ultimate goal was that you would encounter Jesus in a fresh way so that heaven would get into you before you die. That was the whole goal of Jesus coming to earth saying, now the heavens are open. You get to have this all access pass to the kingdom of God. Now, so, so where did Jesus say, okay, just get these things and it'll all be clear. Now, I wish that someone would give me this sermon about 10 minutes before I walked into that room filled with pastors and missionaries and leaders. And they're saying, so what was the gospel message? Well, I heard gospel message and so I was like, 
Again, like I said a few weeks ago, you ever got that feeling like, no matter what I say, it's gonna be wrong, you know? But I really thought I knew it. I was like, well, Jesus loves us. He wants relationship with us, but we were separated from him because of our sin. So he said, Jesus died on the cross. I could almost do the hand motions, you know? And the guy was like, are you sure? I was, you know, I, I thought. And I was like, what is the main message Jesus is trying to get across from the very beginning? I said, Jesus and love, I've, I've done all the cheat words. This isn't working. For sure, the gospel includes forgiveness of sins and the, the security and surety of us getting to encounter and walk with Jesus in heaven and in eternity forever. But to make sure you get this message down, do the digging that I did. I go to the scriptures like, one more time, what was the message? Mark chapter 115, just look at four verses in four gospels. The time is come. The kingdom of God has what? Come near. Repent and believe the good news. Luke 17, 21. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is where? In the midst of you. John chapter three, verse three. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven, what? Is at hand. I love the Passion Translation of Matthew 4, 17. It actually says, the, the kingdoms, oh, from that time on, Jesus began to proclaim his message with these words, come back to God, for heaven's kingdom's heaven realm is now accessible. Isn't that so beautiful? Near, at hand, here, accessible, now. So do you see it? Jesus' key message was not just how you can know a few things and get into heaven one day. Jesus' key message was thanks to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And not just that, the life he lived, you and I now have an all-access pass into this kingdom 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. That was the main message he wanted to get across to us. That now we have access to this kingdom because of the cross. And this is a, a blow away when you think about the fact that I don't live most of my days aware of that. I wear, live aware of this. But I've been waking up thinking, sometimes my first prayer of the day will be, you're close to me as God is the air I breathe. And I have an all-access pass to your kingdom. I pray almost every day. Thank you, God. I don't deserve it. I did nothing to, I did nothing to make this happen. And if I'm a better Christian today than yesterday, I don't get any props for that. I still get an all-access pass to the kingdom of heaven, regardless of who I am. I just submit my life to Jesus, and I get this ability to, to join him in his, in his life. Like, Do you understand now why Jesus said, it's like the kingdom of heaven is like a field? A guy found this treasure buried in the field. He went and sold everything for it. Jesus was not giving real estate tips to the people of that day. He was like, it just makes sense to sell $30,000 worth of stuff, you know, for $5 million. It makes sense to sell all this, to have access to all of that. And if you start to catch this, it'll change the way you read the Bible. Because then you'll go over to the Apostle Paul. And you'll, you'll read as he is talking to you, telling you lists of things you should stay away from. Like, you know, those who lie and are envious and are immoral, they what? Will not inherit the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And at a fast, quick read of that, you might think, 
those people go to hell. Well, anybody in here ever lied? I'm kind of like, did I do that this week? I may have. I mean, I don't know, but I hope that doesn't mean I go to hell. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, if you live in that life, it is going to block the flow of you inheriting what you're supposed to inherit because of the grace of Jesus. So reorder your life, reprioritize your life, and get that stuff out of your life by the grace of Jesus, not so that God loves you more and you get more props and more you know, high fives from heaven one day, but so that you enjoy this heavenly reality that God's made you for. So he's like, you're not gonna inherit the kingdom of heaven, so stay out of that stuff this week. Why? Because he's got something better in store for you. That's who Jesus is. That's what he's done for us. What would happen if that got into me this week? It's like, I, get, I have an all-access pass to his kingdom today. What if that got into Antioch Community Church? Because really, that's what kingdoms are. Kingdoms just begin to kind of morph and intersect, and they become bigger systems, like you know, the kingdom of Baylor. It's a kingdom. Antioch, we, we're, we're like a kingdom. Waco is a kingdom. And our prayer is, that, Lord, this isn't about our kingdom. It's about yours. And the kingdom of heaven happens when we do what we just talked about. We're, we're saying, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, would you bring transformation to me? Because I can't do it apart from you. But then when impatient people start to have conflict and attempt to maybe be withdrawn, but instead you step into a conflict, and as a result, trust is built in that relationship, the kingdom of heaven comes to the kingdom of earth. And when you have a hidden addiction that you're kind of like sick at your stomach about right now as I speak, and you bring that out into the light by the power of the Holy Spirit, you live vulnerably in community, miraculously set free, the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. When you watch the racial divide in our city and intentions that continue to build in our nation, and instead of fearing the conversation and back away, you choose to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and to be a healing bridge of relationship across racial lines, the kingdom of heaven comes to the kingdom of earth. And the people see that and they go, I sure wish I could be a part of that. Love that Jason Ramos and Tammy Andrasi and our staff, they, they're going into prisons. And the prisons now are asking the church, would you send more people? We'll give you more space. This is a blow away. Like, we need more of you to come in. So they're walking into these hallways where people are like behind bars in three different camps and they're just talking and they come up and they get to hear about the kingdom of heaven that you may be trapped behind bars, but the kingdom of heaven can come into your life. And I was just in tears as Jason was telling me all these stories of what it must be like when the kingdom of heaven invades a prison and people get set free from behind bars. Isn't that beautiful? That, you know, I just, I just, man, I could go so different, many different directions on this with the passion that's inside of me. But I want to just say this as an aside. This is one of the reasons I give shameless plugs to volunteer in church. I am, it's not because I'm on staff here and I'm paid to do that. We've got to rally some people or else the children's ministry is going to fall apart. If we live like that, then we will burn out quick. Christians burn out quick. Better rise up or it's going to go, or, you know, I've got nothing left. Better volunteer and do something with this guilt inside of me. That burns out fast. What continues to go forward is when you step in and say, I want to be an ambassador who brings the kingdom of heaven to earth. So then when you go to serve with Unbound, our anti-trafficking organization, 
and you're educating people about the dangers of pornography and you're walking into these dark worlds and you're seeing people set free, the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. And then when you volunteer and say, I want to be with stars. I want, to, I want to be one of those people that goes into the illiterate places and helps people read so that they would graduate and not fall into the pit that society will offer them. The kingdom of heaven comes to earth. When you go, I want to, I want to join the third graders. And you're like, I don't even have a third grader. But when I was in third grade, I didn't think church was fun. I'm going to go and make church a place where kids go, this is fun. I want to go every week. I love that one of my friends told me, he's like, we were visiting churches, but you screwed the whole thing up. Now, we were driving home the other day, and my kid started sharing about what the word of the Lord was for the week, and so, and he was like looking forward to going back to church this next week, and I was like, well, now we can't visit churches. We've got to go back. Why? Because someone was teaching kids how to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. This is, this is just a different mentality from let's just make it all happen. You take an hour in the prayer room, and you encounter the presence of Jesus, and you contend for others who need that. You lead a life group, and you're like, okay, can I do it one more time? And you step into that place, and what do you do? You build a kingdom of people around a king that is not you. And you put the weight on his shoulders and say, let the glory come. And the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. And so we've got a QR code somewhere we'll put up. And if you want to serve in a certain way, you can do that. We'd love to have you join our team. And you can just jump on this, this, this and we'll give you more information. Or you can go to the Connect Center. I, I didn't preach this whole message to manipulate you to all serve. If, you know, that's not where I was going. But I'm shameless about it because I got rocked as a kid who was living down here. As a kid who was struggling and wondering if I had anything to offer. And it was the people of the church who put a finger in my chest and said, we see you, we love you, and we believe in you. And the kingdom of heaven came into this little heart. And it's not been an easy journey for sure, but I still am so thankful People stepped into my world. And as I say this, some of you are like, nobody stepped into my world. Wherever you land on that place, you have an opportunity to be one of those people and to say that Jesus who loves us, he still has open heavens and we get to be a part of this. This is what happens when people get a hold of this. Even this couple weeks ago, some guys said, I have some extra money and what can we do with it? And I said, what if we just help people who wanted to adopt but don't have the resources to do it? And we said, don't let money hold you back. Let's take orphans and put them in kingdom homes. They were like, sign me up, we're in. And I, told, I went home to my wife that, and I got teary-eyed, and I was just like, the kingdom of heaven came to earth today. Because people said, I want to just build my kingdom. I've got some, another kingdom I want to build. That's the reality. And in case you missed it, let me just say this one more time. The gospel is good news that invites you to have an all-access pass into the kingdom of God. Jesus' entire purpose was to model that kingdom and to invite you to that kingdom. And his one command for you was to pursue that kingdom. And now our desire is to expand that kingdom. And so we just thought there'd be no better thing that we could do as we wrap up this service than to take communion and to remind all of us. Not that God's way up there and when you take this wafer and cup, he'll finally come here. But he's closer than the air that you breathe. You get to step into this all-access pass. And so if you would, just take out this packet that you were given earlier. There's a little plastic thing on top. You can tear that first, and there's a, a wafer in there. doesn't taste awesome. might taste like the body of Jesus itself, but, you know, it, it's, uh, it'll do its work. And, uh, and then you'll take, in a minute, you're going to take this. You're also going to peel back the foil area. You'll have the, the grape juice and be able to share 
uh, this time of communion together. But we're just going to be silent here for a moment because this is the gratitude place where we just get to pause. And if you're, a, if you're a, someone who's given your life to Jesus and you've surrendered fully to him, then this communion cup is for you. If you've not made that decision, we'd ask that you not do that. This isn't something you do. This little act does not get you from here to there. It's believing in the act that was done for you and surrendering your life to this one and making him your Lord and your Savior and receiving that forgiveness of sins. And that might be what you need to do right now. But let the gratitude begin as you sit in silence here before the Lord and thank him and even just begin to dream about what it would look like this week. You just began to live as if you have that access to God's kingdom. Here we stand. Here we sit. Here we kneel before you, the maker of heaven and earth. And we are so thankful that the kingdom of God is at hand and is now accessible. And as we take this communion together, Jesus, would you just shower my friends with the unconditional torrential downpour of the love of God been made available to them through the cross and the grace of Jesus. Come to Jesus now, share your heart, pour out your heart. Repent if you need to repent. Love him. Take this on your own time. We'll bring you back together in a minute. Take a second.